Hello and welcome to the Place Tech Podcast. I'm Nicola Byrne. This episode has been brought to you in association with Node and Mills and Reeve. Join us as we explore the latest innovations transforming property. And now we realise your time is valuable, so let's get straight into today's episode. Today's guest is Anthony Garn, founder of IPSX, the International Property Securities Exchange, which is the seventh stock exchange in the UK and recently approved by the FCA. I started off by asking him what exactly IPSX is. IPSX is like a NASDAQ, but dedicated entirely to commercial real estate. So it is a fully regulated exchange, which is game-changing. It's very different in as much as suddenly what we're doing is we're connecting owners of commercial real estate assets with the wider investment market. And this is new. It's never happened before. Can you tell me exactly how you thought about creating IPSX? Where did the idea come from if you're from finance? What was the journey of that? I'd love to tell you some romantic story about a eureka moment somewhere, but sadly, life is not necessarily like that. I think that many of your listeners will realise that actually securitisation of real estate has been something that has been sought for many, many years. Uh, And indeed, those old enough will remember pinks and spots and other different instruments that were invented to provide some sort of liquidity and market, I guess, appeal for real estate assets. None of those worked, but the last attempt to do that was probably 25 to 30 years ago. And none of them came from the financial world, starting off by the very long journey of creating a dedicated stock exchange for them. So I'm afraid that the truth is that I had experience of exchanges as a banker. So I knew about that. I knew about the problem around real estate. And really, it was a a sort of minor sort of trip to connect the two and realize that actually building a dedicated exchange was the only answer to make sure that this worked for every type of investor. And what makes IPSX capable of doing this if something didn't work beforehand? The world has changed dramatically. So there are a number of things that have changed. So as I said earlier, the previous attempts were by the real estate industry creating a product, and then they looked for a market on which to trade it. Yet there wasn't a ready market to trade it on. So you're taking a square peg and trying to put it into a round hole. In addition, in those days, there were ownership issues in terms of how property was held. There were also taxation issues, such as double taxation. So the REIT regime eliminated that relatively recently, only back in 2007. And so that is one part of it. And the other part of it is, if you roll back 25 years, there was no Google, there was no smartphone, you didn't have immediacy of information. And actually, people want to make those decisions themselves. So no longer is it just a world where your savings have to go into a fund or go into a bank account and sit there hoping that they'll give you some return. People have embraced the opportunity to make those choices. And IPSX answers that particular demand. Anthony, can you tell me the difference between IPSX Prime and IPSX Wholesale? IPSX Prime is our core IPO market. So if you want, that is the flagship product to a certain extent. IPSX Wholesale is a specialist market for professional investors. And what it does or will do, and it's still not being launched, so this this still needs regulatory approval, Um, but we hope that that will be forthcoming soon, provides an option for uh, very, very large joint venture REITs to secure REIT status onshore. 
And this is very important. Why it's important is because a lot of the owners of those very, very large assets are sovereign wealth funds with a duty to the public or big property companies who have public shareholders in their own right. And so the IPSX wholesale market, as I say, is not so much about uh, selling down to the men on the street. In fact, specifically not. It is for professional investors to participate in those. So a closed company, but with REIT status in the UK. How do we invest, say, I wanted to invest in a building? What's that whole process? So a great question. If you wanted to buy shares, you'd find that actually you'd be able to do it just as you would buy any other share of a Vodafone or a Barclays through your local brokerage firm. We um, have also spent a lot of time working with the platform investment companies to make sure also that not just will you be able to buy those shares in the secondary market, but we are uh, looking to make sure that even in the primary (coughs) market, so right at the point of IPO, you will have the opportunity, we hope in most cases, to be able to buy shares of companies that are coming to the market. Something which has typically disappeared over the years, which has typically started off in the institutional world, and less of an exposure to the private market. And you're not a property guy, are you, Anthony? Sadly not. Very sadly, I'm a banker by background. And in an odd sort of way, that obviously is quite helpful to look at something that is entirely new. So this is about a market infrastructure business. So as I say, very much like a NASDAQ or a London Stock Exchange or the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And what a market infrastructure business is there to do is to provide connectivity and data to connect the investment world with a specific a financial instrument, which in this case would be a share in a company owning a single real estate asset. So you've previously had experience with stock exchanges and you said, so how does that experience come into play for for setting up IPSX? The frightening thing about setting up a, a new stock exchange is that it has many, many different disciplines that you need to understand. So you start off with understanding what market infrastructure is, which is exchanges. You also need to understand what the asset is that you're actually looking at, which in this case obviously is real estate. But on top of that, you have to add an understanding of wealth management, equity capital markets, data, and I'm sure there are a few other things that we really should know about. But it's connecting all of these different streams of knowledge to provide a seamless product for the user, being the owner wanting to sell their asset on the exchange, or indeed the investor wanting to buy shares of that company. And with all that that you need to do, what was it like getting it off the ground? Was it really hard to do? I think that's an understatement, uh, really. And uh, I've noticed that there have been a few comments in the press about the journey lasting around five years, which is exactly right. Uh, Not all of those five years were spent deep in the weeds doing all the things that you have to do to create an exchange. But certainly for the last three years or so, that has been uh, a very, very complicated and exhaustive process, really because you start off with something that just doesn't exist. um, And you're trying to make sure that it fits in with a world that does exist, being the markets world. And that involves not just the physical aspects of that and the commercial aspects of that, but very importantly, the regulatory aspects of that, which is one of the things, obviously, that we have just been able to complete uh, by getting recognition for our UK business at the start of January. And can you tell us exactly how important this recognition is by the FCA? The level of approval that we have is pretty rare. Again, if you look at um, the history of exchanges being launched, there are very, very few. 
We are the seventh uh, recognized investment exchange in the UK. And this very specific designation is very, very important because what it is saying is it is the highest level of regulatory approval that you can get for a market infrastructure business for an exchange. And importantly, it allows the companies that come to our market to be able to sell their shares to any type of investor. And that really is important because part of our mission here is to democratize the access to this asset class uh, for everybody. So uh, first time, the man on the street, just as much as the very big institutions, can have an investment in institutional grade real estate. And you've got some fantastic backers. How did you kind of convince them and how did you get funding for this venture? So we do. We're very fortunate to have um, some wonderful shareholders. And I think that part of this is is interesting is that the whole ethos behind setting up the exchange was really to solve problems in the real estate market. So it's we went and decided what were, or rather we asked uh, real estate people, what were the pain points in the real estate investment world? And these range from liquidity or speed to market and, and many other items. And so we were designing an exchange specifically for the real estate market. So it it followed very closely that some of the people who would support us would be people who were supporting innovation in the real estate world. And so particularly the, the larger three shareholders who are strategic shareholders, so British Land, Henley Investment and M7 Real Estate, have been wonderful partners in terms of helping guide us as to their pain points and indeed to, I guess, tell the rest of the world that the real estate world is supporting this, not just a bunch of bankers. <laughs> and where were you when you got that approval? Did you celebrate? So as ever in these stories, maybe the guy who's been the last, well, who's the first there actually is the last to know. So I think I was the last to know that we had received the information because I was doing my duty in a meeting uh, with some investors and actually came out of that to find out that everyone else was really quite happy because everything had happened whilst I'd been sitting there talking at some other people. So needless to say, overjoyed. It was a long time coming, but something very, very worthwhile. And uh, and I think, you know, there are phrases around, you know, you actually, if you take your time, you get something even better than if you just do it very, very quickly. And what was the initial response from the industry? What did you hear? The response since the 8th of January, which is the date on which we were able to disclose that we had re received our approval, has been nothing short of amazing. We're delighted with the response because I think, again, we had set this up for a number of years beforehand. But there is a huge difference between something being proposed and something that actually is live and working and open for business. So now the many, many different institutions and owners that we had spoken to as potential issuers onto the market can now look at their portfolio and indeed have looked at their portfolios and said, actually, we need to consider IPSX as an alternative for this particular transaction that we're contemplating. How exactly is it going to work? Because to become a PLC, there's a lot of regulatory burden for, for these companies. How are you going to convince these huge private companies to essentially sell part of their buildings and portfolios? 
I'd like to think that, um, as ever with many industries, jargon gets ahead of the true complexity here. So the reality is that the process is pretty streamlined. And what we have here as well is a, a relatively easy to define asset. So a single office block, as a for instance, being put into a corporate shell, so a PLC, as you rightly point out. Actually, all of that is pretty straightforward. And doing an IPO process, again, I would argue is pretty straightforward. Over the years, the, there is a perception, I think, that has grown in the financial markets that these are very, very complicated transactions. They are up to a certain point complicated, but I would say they're not difficult. And, and the difference is that you just have to go through the process. Uh, fortunately, both in the real estate world and in the financial services world, the community that sits around this does this day in, day out. So actually, the process isn't that difficult. And particularly if you look at the IPSX proposition in comparison to the IPO of a major international operating company with businesses all over the world and having done acquisitions, all of that actually just doesn't exist in what we're talking about here. So actually, it's really um, streamlined and clear. So I would encourage people to actually look at this and think, actually, this is a very viable proposition as a capital markets alternative to a private market sale. And interestingly, if you look at it, I think the the time scale for doing a private transaction on average, and obviously there are different uh, numbers on this, is over six months. Doing an IPO on IPSX is considerably much, much shorter than that. How much shorter? I think when we are properly up and running and there have been a number of them going through the system, then we'll start to go down to the much shorter levels on our timeline. But what we're saying to companies is something in the region of 8 to 12 weeks. Wow, so that is really a considerably quicker transaction speed and has the potential to revolutionise the process. And in terms of the buildings that will be out there for people to buy shares in, Will it be single buildings? Will it be tightly defined portfolios? It's both of those. And again, it's very important that it is both of those. So investment in shares is something which requires, at least from my perspective, a level of emotional attachment and understanding as to what you are investing in. Um, so a single asset is something that you can visualize very easily. And indeed, if you have shares in it, you almost have bought bricks in that building. Yet what you're investing in is a company with the regulatory environment around it and the ability to buy and sell those shares very easily. Um, so we are focused on the single assets for lots and lots of reasons. And again, the world has changed. And um, go back a few years, I don't think we would be doing a podcast here. We'd be writing a very long article. But actually, if you think about it, there are a lot of people in the world who want to be able to decide about their own financial uh, futures. They want to be able to say, I have information on this, I understand what it is, and I want to buy it. And again, this is where the single asset comes in. So it's a different product from products that have existed before, which have typically been fund-based. And therefore, what you're doing in a fund clearly is you're paying a professional of some sort to assist with your choices. But as I say, there are lots of people today who would rather do that directly. Can you do uh, IPO with single assets, multiple assets? Good question. So single asset is, is a concept and is a reality in a practical level. So a single office block, you do an IPO of that. 
But we also recognize that there are a lot of assets that have commonality around them. And so effectively, from our perspective, they are single assets. Uh, so that might be a Broadgate, for example, where there are a number of different buildings, but they're all co-located. And actually, you can see why that would be a single proposition. It might be a collection of hotels which have exactly the same branding. They are run by the same people and they are owned by the same people. So again, that could be a single asset. So we have an element of flexibility around that which extends the market further and also provides uh, the industry with much more optionality as to how they might bring their assets to a public market. How do you control that flexibility? The flexibility is controlled by the rules of the exchange. So we have a market regulation team which will determine whether or not actually all the eligibility criteria, which is multiple different things, have been satisfied. And if they are satisfied, then in that case, that, that company or that issuer can proceed with an IPO. And I know there's been rumours around Wembley and all that, but are there any buildings that are in the process of being listed yet? Can you reveal any or can you give us a timeline of when we will see something? We have a very large community, if you want, of potential issuers. So over the last two years, some of our real estate colleagues have been uh, spending time explaining what we are doing to people who own multiple assets, and in many cases, multiple very, very large single assets. Um, those are the people who we're engaging with again at the moment. But now it's different because now with the exchange open, this becomes a practical discussion about which asset what does it look like for me? What are the benefits for doing it? What are the downsides potentially of doing it? And so we're only a month in since the recognition order. So we haven't been going that long if you want live. But I can tell you that a number of those discussions are progressing at speed and in detail. Um, so that is keeping us flat out spending time with those potential issuers and also starting to introduce the financial community to those potential issuers who, um, who would take those issuers on the journey through the IPO process. As to giving names, I sadly cannot do that. You'll be not surprised about that particular answer. But the hope is, and I think the only thing that I might just say is obviously there is quite a lot of political uncertainty at the moment, but forget about that just for a moment, which probably everybody listening to this podcast would think was a good idea. The truth is that we would not expect any issuers before the end of the second quarter, just starting today, going through an eight to 12 week process automatically gets you into the back end of Q2. And that's what we would like to see. But as I say, you know, everyone has to make their decisions. It is a new market, but we are very confident about the pipeline and the conversion just based on the conversations that we know have already advanced quite a long way. Now, I want to know your opinion about what does this mean for agents, valuers, consultants? Are they out of a job? I think it's really good news for all of them. Uh, we have IPSX approved valuers, and these will be the agency firms as well. But in, in my mind, actually, um, if you were trying to draw an analogy between the agents and the financial services world, the reality, I think, in my mind is that those agents actually know about real estate, know about investors. This is just another method of connecting the two. Uh, so if you want, they should be the investment banks of the real estate world. 
because they have a lot of the skill set. Now, in certain cases, they won't be able to necessarily place the shares into the market from a technical perspective, but they can partner up with brokerage firms and other investment banks to do that. So we think that the opportunities to participate for the agents are large and wide. And secondly, an important part of this, and perhaps we'll be getting onto it as a discussion, is that the universe of transactions suddenly becomes bigger. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is the fact that if you look at the market and very, very crudely divided in two, half of that market is an institutional market where deals get done all the time, 50 to 60 billion pounds a year in the UK. And the other half of the market is the owner-occupier market. And that, that market doesn't trade frequently because the owners of those assets have a strategic desire to maintain an element of control over their head office. Or even Wembley is the instance that you you mentioned a little bit earlier on. What the IPSX proposition gives them is for the first time the ability to uh, release capital from those assets and put it in a different format, yet still have influence as a continuing shareholder and of course a tenant of that new company. And what that means is there's a whole new set of transactions that we think are available. And again, going back to your question about agents, they need advice. So I think it's good news. Brilliant. And then a property index will need to be created. Is Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means for the industry? I think it's very clear that real estate data is a very topical I guess, subject at the moment. Um, So real estate data is also variable because of the private nature um, of the market. What IPSX does by virtue of going through a public market process is it prescribes certain data points that are needed for the market, for the investors to look at. And those data points need to be configured in a certain way. So evaluation has to be done in a certain way. The measurement of the building has to be in a certain way. So suddenly you're taking away the lack of granularity on data. And as an exchange, an important part of uh, measuring progress for investments is having an index. We will be creating, for the first time, a live, very specific single asset index with different subsectors. So in other words, it might be office, it might be industrial, whatever, and ultimately on a geographic basis. And that data is really important. Those indices are used for passive money, particularly in the market. So a big proportion of uh, liquidity in the conventional stock exchanges is provided by passive money. But they need an index to follow to actually invest. And we see that building excitement and where you have a pile of cash aggregating, then you have issuers looking at that pile of cash and saying, actually, that's interesting for us as well. So it all goes around in a circle. And we'd like to think that it's an element of a snowball here, as you see those issuers starting to communicate much more frequently and in depth with the wider investor world. And a question that I really want to know is, how does IPSX make money from this? We charge the issuers for coming onto our market and we charge them an annual fee as well, just like any other stock exchange. We will also uh, have revenues from selling data, just like any other exchange. And basically, we, as I said earlier, we, we look and smell and are like any other stock exchange in the world. Fantastic. And then there is obviously the RNS for the stock exchange, which is, if people don't know, regulatory news service. How will the property industry get around that? Well, they won't be getting around that at all. So the 
the RNS is a form of a new service which is required to provide information to the market so that there's no false market created. The companies that come to our market will likewise have obligations to disclose market-sensitive information. So if there was, for example, a tenant that went bust and therefore that rental stream disappeared on that building, if it was a very major tenant, then that would be something which would need to be disclosed to the market. I think it would be pretty visible in the market anyway, and we see that in the property press day in, day out, but it's very important that there's an immediacy of communication to the market so nobody um, has the advantage of trading with some information that somebody else does not have. And what does the timeline look now from now? You said you've got a very busy week and you've had some very busy weeks. What is the timeline for IPSX? What's the next step? And what's the next city that it's going to be in? It's a good question. And I think we've been quite open in saying that IPSX is an international proposition. It applies everywhere because, of course, the assets are everywhere and the investors are everywhere. There is, however, a lot of logic in terms of having local exchanges to provide not just a time zone link with the investor world, but also because, again, it is much easier to have local people looking after your assets on a, on a market. So I can tell you that we will be in continental Europe, and we'll be in continental Europe not because of Brexit, but actually because there are some very, very substantial real estate markets in continental Europe. We intend to be in Asia and North America as well. And the speed of doing that is partly to do with the speed at which we uh, build the UK market, but also bear in mind that we will still need to go through a regulatory process in those geographies as well. And so that will take time. I'm hopeful it won't be another five years for anything to happen, but I think actually um, we should be doing that on a relatively regular basis in the coming years. Alongside the geographies, we also have to think about what the product is. So the product at the moment starts off as a very simple, straightforward share so the equivalent of a cash equity in a conventional traditional market. Every exchange is there for innovation and innovation in products. So over time, you will see debt-related securities being available. And of course, again, we will need to get these authorized. But also derivatives is clearly on the map and a duty, if you want, as I say, of an exchange to do. And you're working on a IPSX app, am I right? The IPSX app will be forthcoming, and uh, that will allow the people who use it to see prices of companies and information on companies. And, and that's the first step, if you want. Over a longer period of time, as the volume of issuers increases, then we will, again, try and make sure that there are there's functionality that they can use on that to be able to contact the right execution platform to buy and sell shares. And what's going to be the biggest challenge that you're going to have to tackle? And what is the biggest challenge that the property industry is going to have to tackle to make IPS work? I think there will always be bumps in the road. And one of the things that we are very clear to the market on is that we will evolve to make sure that we continue to be relevant in every sense. And that includes some innovation around what the distribution channels might be in the future. So you'll all have heard about uh, security tokens and ICOs and other things in and blockchain. So blockchain is is an interesting technology. And all of these we're happy to adopt as we go forward in the right way within a regulatory framework that protects those investors. But 
the important thing is what we're saying really is the one end of the equation there is an owner of an asset and the other end of the equation there are a whole load of investors who want to connect and we're just the people in the middle connecting those two worlds. So I'm sure that we will have lots of challenges as we go through. What we do know is that those two worlds deeply, deeply want to connect with each other. So that's a good start point. What we just need to do is make sure that the plumbing between those two worlds works as beautifully as it can possibly. That's brilliant. I think that is the perfect note to end on. So thank you very much, Anthony, for joining us today and being part of one of our very first podcasts. So Nicola, thank you very much. We're honoured to be one of your first uh, podcasts and um, really enjoyed the discussion. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Place Tech podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. All of our future episodes will be on there. If you like this episode, give us a social shout out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, email news at placetech.net.